Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at the Dan Urban. Follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and subscribe to us wherever you listen. And I know you're going to like this show. So when you're done or even during it, make sure you give us that five star review. And as always, we taught judging in MMA. So head on over to ABCBoxing.com to read the criteria. Dan, we have a special one because it's always special when we have our good friend Spencer Kite on the show. Spencer, he's flexing for us. You won't see us because this is audio only. But Spencer, it is Doesn't wonderful matter. to have you, you back. Pop. It's just awesome to have you back, man. How are you doing? I'm good, boys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we dive into everything, I always like to make sure we give our guests, you know, the, the chance to kind of shout out their work, shout out what they're up to. Uh, so Spencer, I mean, you you got the floor really quick. What what's kind of going on in your space? In my space, um, a <laughs> no, whole not in my space. Of... Your space. Oh, my man, space I is not my, used I anymore. That's old. <laughs> um, in my space. Uh... The Keyboard Kimura news- newsletter, spencerkite.substack.com, uh, ufc.com website, doing a ton of stuff there, especially this month with five events and the Ultimate Fighter and the return of Dana White's Contender Series at the end of the month. Then mid-year awards will be coming out this week, like busy weeks there. Uh, I've been doing a bunch of stuff with the guys over at Severe MMA as of late, doing the weekly uh, preview show. So shout out to those guys. But as always... All of it will be shamelessly self-promoted on social media at Spencer Kite on both Twitter and Instagram. So just follow those and you will get all of the goings on. There you go. No shame. Sir. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Always promote your work. Yeah. Absolutely. And video content is new. Video content is new. Dan asked yes. for a, for video predictions. <laughs> I gave him a little sample a couple weeks back. Got the, got the pick horribly wrong. But it was a good video, and it's no, 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 it's, it's a bad video. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> if you got it wrong, you can't do it again. <laughs> oh, no, that's cool. That's cool. I, I'm I'm glad to see you branching out. I'm always glad to to see your work pop up, and 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 I'm a big uh, believer in your work. So I'm glad to have you back on the sh- on our show. Last time we had you for contested rounds, where we co- of course go over the you know, the rounds from the most recent event. That was actually one of our best episodes because it happened to have two fights that people still bring up as like potential robberies. They're wrong, but they are fights that people distinctly remember and they go back to that episode. And that was the one uh, that was headlined by Corey Sanhagen, who did not get the win against TJ Dillashaw last year. Uh, That was a great episode. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, this is this is a thing that I judging is a thing, maybe not as passionate as you guys or as Sean Sheehan, my good buddy at Severe, but uh I've gone through the course. You you mentioned not that long ago, like people can look up that their names are on the ABC website, and I did and was like, hey, look, my name's there. And so this awesome. is something I something I enjoy and and get wrapped into every once in a while. So well, our names you are going to go up there in a couple answer. weeks if we pass uh, pass the test at pass. the ABC in fine. a couple weeks. We'll see. We'll see. I, you know, <laughs> I come in with humility. I come in willing to learn from whoever is going to impart knowledge upon myself and Dan. Uh, Dan is uh, all ego. He has no <laughs> will to listen to anybody. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's no, no, no. We're getting a lot of fun, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Any tips, real quick, Spence, before we kind of get into the weekend? 
just don't get yourself psyched out. That just you guys know your stuff. You know what they're looking for. You understand the criteria. So when you get through, I mean, I don't know if it'll be the exact same tests that I had to do, and it's tests been a long time, plural. right? How long ago? Yeah, it's uh, over a decade ago now because yeah. I'm old. <laughs> I really actually want to uh, to re up and and probably do Mark Goddard's course just to go through that as well, just to sure familiarize yeah, myself and yeah just the online see, course see what everybody really else cool. is doing these days yeah yeah no it, it's a shame you're not going to be able to join us out there that would have been fun to see you yeah i mean listen look just drop your life ago old, come on getting back to the old stomping grounds and you know born and raised born and raised in in the niagara region but on the other side right, so right. On, familiar on... with the area it would be nice to get home but a little bit of a little bit of things going on here that we need to take care of first. Of course, so. of course. One well, of these days. But you know what, Dan? Dan, it's probably time for us to get into this. Yeah, right? we got we got a lot of stuff in. to talk about. Uh, not as much, not even as much rounds, but like I feel like there was a lot of stories that kind of came out of uh, UFC 276 on Saturday. So I, even though it wasn't the main event, I think at least in my opinion, this was the the star attraction going into the event, and I think it probably left as the biggest real talking point coming out of it, and that was Alexander Volkanovsky just laying into max holloway in the in the end of their trilogy which you know how unlikely is it that we're going to get two and oh and there's another fight between these two guys but you know if you didn't if you only knew that i think it's not surprising in the least that the guy who won the first two absolutely tore through the guy he'd already beat twice in max holloway but but obviously we know better we know that these are two of the best fighters not just ever in their division, but like still currently in their division. It's there's no question that these were one and two at featherweight. And Volkanovski didn't really pay attention to that. He absolutely just blasted through in five rounds. I mean, he couldn't put him away, but man, he left Max in, in, in a bloody way. What what was your initial reaction as you're watching this, Spencer? I mean, kind of what you said, right? Like you you look at the first two fights and they're they're the one A and the one B, and it's really close. The first two fights, both really close. I think everybody agreed that Volkanovski won the belt the first time around. I think still debated whether he did enough to retain in the second fight. And so the expectation all week was that these guys are so close that it's going to be another tight contest. And then Volk goes out and, and shows kind of what I had thought was going to be the way this, this played out, that he had leveled up. He just looked so much better coming off those wins over... Brian Ortega and Chan Sung Jung, that he went out there with a different kind of confidence, a different kind of almost self-assuredness, and just took the fight to Max in a different way than he had in the previous two battles. And Max just wasn't able to keep up. He wasn't able to make the adjustments. You saw him clearly getting frustrated in terms of, you know, deviating from the things that he does best. And Volk was just loving it for, for 25 minutes. He was yapping at him in there. He's kind of looking over at the commentary side a little bit. Like he was having fun in there proving that he is now, I don't want to say head and shoulders, but at least a full head above Max Hall. Like he is, he has put some distance between himself and the rest of the pack in that division right now. And it was, I mean, to me, he's, you know, we can get into whether he's the best fighter on the planet right now, but he's, he's got to be on that really short list. I, I mean, I absolutely, I, I think you're right. I don't want to get too deep into the pound for bound discussion because it's just so fantasy. Uh, and we, and I think everyone else is going to beat it to death, right? It's today, if they haven't already. Um, this this Fourth of July when people are listening to this episode. But Dan, what about you? I mean, what what did you take away from the fight? I was like, wow, he's really good. 
and <laughs> Max is Max is not a guy you you typically do that against. And he he just he's he went out there like Spencer said, and he showed that you know he's he's the better fighter. He took it to him, and he, he leveled up from from the previous fight, even from even from in April. He, he's a better fighter. Oh, absolutely, I so. think so. And obviously, against a higher caliber of opponent. No disrespect to the Korean Zombie. I think we all know Max Holloway is a is a different breed of fighter than Korean Zombie is. Um, but obviously, Volkanovski, you know, he said after the fight, he wants he wants two belts. He's when I spoke to him a couple months ago, and I don't think I was the first person he talked to about this. But he he's made no secret that he would like to get that lightweight belt as well. Uh, his his whole spin is that he doesn't think that the featherweight division can keep him busy enough. He's also talking about he broke part of his hand, so I don't know how busy he's going to be with fights for the next few months while he recovers that hand. But having said that, do you like do you want Dan? Volkanovski to get the next lightweight title shot. Well, here's the thing: if if they're dead set on making Islam versus Dariush before just giving Islam the title shot, which it kind of feels like they are, then I think if they're not going to give Volk a shot at the the 55 title, then they're never going to. So if not now, when? Uh, I think 45 and 55 are kind of in weird places. Like there's no clear cut contenders that haven't already had their shot. Like 45 has guys that are surging that will be contending soon. They're just not at that level yet. Like Josh Emmett and Arnold Allen, Bryce Mitchell. Uh, and 55 is weird too because they've already, you know, like I said, said Islam's going to fight Darius. So if it's not Islam, then there's really no one there that hasn't already had their chance to fight uh, Charles. So what do you think, Spencer? I want it for Volk because he's such a good dude and I want him to get those opportunities. But he, for he the division, dude, for where things are, I, I mean, I don't, I disagree with the notion that he's cleaned out the division. I think there are those guys that, you know, Dan mentioned this, this young pack that's surging Arnold Allen, Mobsari Vloyev, Bryce Mitchell, maybe a step behind them, but you've also got Josh Emmett who just, you know, was in a grueling battle against Calvin Cater. And if you want, you know, you guys did a good job covering, covering that decision and covering those rounds. But he got the victory. It is on paper as a victory. He moves forward. He's looked good in his last five fights. And then we've got a fight pretty close to you boys mm-hmm. in a well, couple of weeks. It's not that close but- to us. <laughs> Dude, it's not that far away either, <laughs> it's man. It's very I'm, far. I'm driving See, to I, it. It's not I far. Know better, I knew better than to say that, having listened <laughs> to the shows. I knew better than to instigate that. But I mean, I think if Yair Rodriguez goes out and looks really good against Brian Ortega... You can make the case that you give Yair a shot. Like, I know it's only one win, but he's a guy that's been in that mix. We just saw Jared Cannonier off two wins get an opportunity at middleweight. And so, to me, there's there's more for him to do and there's more opportunities for him still at featherweight. Plus, we've got enough people at lightweight already. We don't need more really great fighters at lightweight. I, You know, I hate to just separate... Uh, you know, one of the best fighters just because there's enough there. Because what if he is the best? I, I certainly want to de- wouldn't want to deny him just based on the numbers. You know what I mean? That's Fair. that's me. That's me. But yeah, I, I understand why there's very a lot of hesitance to kind of put him in there. Personally, if if I'm if I'm Mick Maynard, I get to do whatever I want. If I'm Sean Shelby, I get to do whatever I want with these divisions. I'm making the the fight between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev. I'm I'm just making it happen. I don't care. I don't think that they're in a rush to do that. And I think they probably even see a little bit more appeal in getting Volkanovsky up there uh, than they do in in putting Islam Makhachev in there. I don't know why. They they seem to like guys until they absolutely don't for one reason or another. They turn down a fight at the last minute or what have you. It's it's very uh, <laughs> it, it's very 
I guess double-sided, I don't know, uh, the way the UFC kind of does things. But, you know, you talk about Yair and the chance that he might have to get that next title shot at 145 with a win. I think you're right, because as complicated as the relationship's been with the UFC and him for the last few years, I think there was a point where they I, they kind of cut him, right? Like, they sort of did, yeah. but then they didn't, didn't. I don't know. It was a weird thing. Um, there obviously is a reason that they like him and that's because he can open up more doors in Mexico possibly even that uh Brandon Moreno cannot because he is like very much like an, an exciting striker that I think can cross over with a different type of audience in Latin America and especially Mexico because he's all about the striking whereas Brandon Moreno he's you know he can kind of do a little bit of everything but I think he bread and butter wise is more of a grappler and I I, I don't know how much that translates to the audience down there. So I think they would love for Yair to get there as complicated as it is, you know? So I could see him definitely getting that next shot if he wins. But yeah, I mean, it all depends, I guess, on that hand, right? Yeah, if that hand's busted, like if he's going to need, I mean, we see Kamaru Usman, right? He hasn't fought because he broke his hand last time out. It's been a, it's been a number of months since he fought. And so if, if Volkanovski's going to be sidelined for, let's say, six six to nine months dealing with a hand injury you've got enough time to maybe get whoever wins this fight in a couple of weeks on long island in there against josh emmett you get the young guys that are on the rise kind of that one fight that each of them need and see if you know one of them can make another statement and have another big performance and then maybe you've got a couple different contenders sitting there for when Volk's healthy, you move forward at lightweight, as you said, with Charles Oliveira and, and Islam Mahashev, who are both very much deserving of being in that championship matchup. And then you're then you're set going into kind of either early next year or or the second half of next year. I, I would also say, because I, I believe it was Aaron Bronstad who kind of floated the idea that could you could you couldn't rule out the possibility that the UFC would consider uh, a a championship lightweight championship fight that didn't involve Charles Oliveira. And that one, I wouldn't put it past the UFC, but man, if they do that, I ain't buying it. I'm not buying it whatsoever. That would, that would be, that'd be in poor taste. Dana said he's the guy. Yeah, I mean it's gotta so, be right. It has he's, to be. But he's he's basically the champ. Well, you know, we've we've seen but we've I, seen changes in mind before, right? I, I I was unaware about this hand thing for Volkanovski. Yeah, no, I he he had said it, that. I guess, coming out of the cage last night. Okay. And then they asked him about it at the press conference and he said he believes he broke it in the second round. He he's almost positive because he said he's okay. broken it in like the same place before, so, kind of on this spot in the right hand. So that makes me think that he's gonna be out a little while. He won't get that third fight this year that you uh, you told me that he was hoping for. You, you never know. Um, I mean, if it's if he's if wrong, if he's wrong, maybe it's maybe he gets back in there. But right? by so now it makes me feel like he's not going to get that shot for the second belt because by by then forty five should shake out a little bit more. We'd have a better landscape and have more more contenders ready to go there. One one would think so. so. What about Max Holloway though, Dan? I mean, Max Holloway is is no without question he's the number two guy at featherweight, but he is never going to get another shot at Alexander Volkanovsky again, unless he somehow has the belt himself and Volk is challenging again. That's like the only way I could see it. Or if it's like somewhere at lightweight and again, same kind of scenario, right? These, these are the only things that I can see them two happening. So he's basically blocked. What do you do with him? Interim titles do happen way too often. I mean, they do. So, I'll grant you that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't know what to do with Max. It's kind of whatever he wants to do, really. If he wants to go play video games and just stream, I think I'm he really wants too. to fight, though, so, dude. I think he does. He's playing Apex uh, Legends a lot, he told me. When okay. I talked to him. Yeah. 
Wherever he wants to do. I mean, I'm, I'm down for Max Holloway to, to do whatever he wants. If he wants to go fight at lightweight, if he wants to fight at featherweight, I, fight who? I don't know. I don't know where to, where to match him up, really. I it's kind of hard. I think I'm in the time to move to lightweight camp. You know, give okay. it give it a real try. That's where I'm at. What about you, Spencer? I'm in the take a whole bunch of time off and just hang out with your new wife and your dope son and play video games and enjoy living in Hawaii. Um, but he kind of did that, that. He'd been out of action for a bit. I mean, the fight with Yair was in November, right? Like he was November, December. So, I mean, it's it's not that long. He's coming off another hellacious beating. He's 30 years old, but he's been doing this for a decade. And the last seven fights, I think, are 25-minute battles at the top of the division where, yep, he, he won a bunch of those, but he's still taking a bunch of shots. And so at a certain point, you know, you start start thinking about those things and he, i wouldn't he's very i honestly wouldn't be surprised you're right yeah, even in that cater fight he took a lot yeah i wouldn't be surprised if he took the rest of the year off and then gives him time that if he does want to go to 55 which i think if he's coming back and he does want to fight 55 is a thing that makes absolute sense right he said for the fight with poirier he didn't do it the right way because he knew he was still competing at 45 take the next six months seven months whatever it is put on some mass get up there at a at a real in a real way and then go up and see what's up i mean there's fights up there that of course we all would love to see them but i also kind of echo my my co-host on the next day takeaways thoughts harry powell who said you know wouldn't mind seeing max retire like he's got nothing else to prove there's nothing for him at 45 it's it's not like there aren't more of these kinds of fights at 55 so he's just going up there to get into more of these fights because that's who he is. And so at what point does he say, you know what? I've, I've made my money. My legacy is established. I'm just going to hang out. You know, I could see what you're saying there, but I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he has nothing left to prove. I mean, he does in a sense, but I think for someone like him who really is a fighter's fighter, right? Like he, he's not in this just for money. I think he really likes to fight so you know regardless of when he comes back maybe he does take the year off maybe he takes a full 12 months off i don't know but when he does come back and, and assuming he's going to i doubt he's gonna just walk away off of this but i think he would find a lot of interest in trying his hand for real at lightweight i do think that is something to prove for himself because he did go up there the one time he did lose he does think he can do better. So there is something to prove, I think, for this man. I think there's really something there. Can he do it? Because he does have a lot of wear, like we're talking about. I mean, there is the question. But I, I could see him being highly motivated to do something that there is a lot of questions about. And, and he wouldn't want to just walk away from without kind of seeing that through, right? That's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly matchups. There's certainly opportunities. And, and I agree that there are questions that he will have for himself that he would like to answer at 55 if he can make a real go of it there's just that part of me that you know looks at that landscape and goes does it does it get that much better for him up there like it's kind of like when, it, it's kind of like when kevin holland said oh well i'm gonna go down to welterweight it's like well there's wrestlers at welterweight dude <laughs> there's dudes that are just gonna take you down at well it's not like they disappear and for max you go up there it's going to be dustin poirier it's going to be Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje and dudes that are going to engage you in car crash fights. What if you do McGregor Holloway? I mean, that I would the, be, the rematch that everybody's be been waiting in. for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be yeah. 
And what about that Khabib fight that we were supposed to have? Because I have a press pass that says Khabib versus Max on it, and I didn't ever see that fight. I went to the arena and everything, and it wasn't there. Max would need to go up several weight classes to fight Khabib now. Yeah, maybe maybe eat some some burger cheese, right? Uh, several burger cheese. Yes. Yeah. So so obviously we I think we can move on. We've we've got a you know we've got a few more things we want to hit before we get to contested rounds. But you know, moving on to the the headliner here, uh, which didn't necessarily thrill everyone who was watching it and it was Israel Adesanya getting the win over uh Jared Cannonier five rounds no question who won uh but it, you know we've we've kind of seen this this type of fight I guess from Israel Adesanya before the the tactical five round clear victory that maybe doesn't wow everybody what was your takeaway from this fight Dan uh we've seen this happen before uh I steal your thunder a, I said it in a past generation with uh, oh yeah okay with GSP. Towards the end, GSP took less risks, and he just took the path of least resistance, did what he was best at, focused on his strengths, and actually, he really focused on his opponent's weaknesses, because he, he he beat up Koshek pretty good with a jab. He he and went so, to, he went at everybody, he, yeah. he identified their, their weak point, he kind of took the Death Star route and said, mm-hmm. okay, there's that little, there's that two meter wide hole that we if we shoot it through we can we can win and that's what gsp would always find that two meter wide hole uh and just shoot it through use the force yeah, so adesanya i think he he did what he had to do he had to avoid getting knocked out getting hurt he avoided that the power from from uh cannoneer and he went on won a pretty clear decision i mean the further you get the bigger the risk gets when you lose so the the only thing i would actually push back on is i I did see some aggression from him, especially on the earlier rounds. I think he was he was really taking I don't want to say risks, but he was definitely trying to do things more than just wait, which I I liked to see. And I think the later part of the fight we didn't see that as much. And I think that's what kind of resonated a bit because it probably just went a little longer than people hoped. But I think it was even Daniel Cormier who was remarking during the second round. He's like, "Oh, we're seeing a more aggressive Israel Adesanya in this fight." And I'm like, "You know what? I think we actually are." Because he was he was looking for that you know that he's looking for you know straight punches jabs that kind of thing he's trying to get it through and he didn't really have to like these were stiffer ones and not just kind of feel her out right he's going for strikes that you didn't always see him there was the leg kicks that we see but there was more of that and I I appreciated that from him I I think probably some of the criticism he's getting in the aftermath of the fight is is undue the one thing I would say is most definitely. He sets the bar to a certain level, and he doesn't really get in the cage and and meet it to that degree. And there's going to come criticism as a result because when you walk out like the Undertaker, you do the whole Undertaker walkout, and you have an urn with you, and it says Jared on it. (laughs) People are expecting you to bury your opponent and burn him up and, and, and fry him up and put him in an urn, and that didn't come close to happening so the the meeting of expectations he fell way short and i think that's part of the problem that that i can justify other people having but otherwise i thought it was a fine performance what about you spencer yeah i think the first two rounds as you said were were actually active rounds where we saw good things from israel and we saw him looking to set up combinations and looking for shots that he, he doesn't necessarily always chase and he had good success We'll talk about the third round a little later. And I think from there on, he kind of not coasted, but Cannoneer did a good job of of making him work in some spots that he did, doesn't like to work in or can't be as successful in. And then the other part of it is what you said at the end. He goes out at the press conference and says, 
I want to be the show. I want to be the guy headlining these things. I want to be the main event of International Fight Week. He has the tremendous walkout. And the expectation is, because we've seen it at times, right? This is this is the trouble. It's similar to what Dan was saying about George St. Pierre. We saw it a little bit even with Anderson Silva in his career. You have those great moments. So we know we've seen the Paulo Costa knockout. We've seen the Robert Whitaker knockout on repeat throughout this ascension. And so that just becomes the expectation because we know he's capable of it. The thing that's always interesting to me, and, and Harry and I got into it today on, on our show, is that there's just this weird, to me, it's a it's a weird imbalance because it's all on Izzy to go out there and just put everything on the line to, to chase down Jared Cannonier and get him out of there. But if he does and he gets caught, nobody is saying, ah, good on Izzy for trying. At least he went out there and tried to give us our money's worth. He just gave up everything. He just lost everything. But totally and so fair. I completely understand where he's coming from. And like, look, sometimes you have a an off night. The trouble for him is that he's had a few off nights. And so that just becomes the new narrative, right? Is that he says all this stuff and then he goes out there and he has these off nights. And so it's weird to see people walking out before the end of end of a championship fight. But I was here in Vancouver when People left very early in the Demetrius Johnson, Ali Bogatinov fight. And so it happens. You know, looking at his record, looking at Adesanya's record, uh, because I we've seen a lot of decisions from him lately to, to kind of crystallize the, the actual number for you. Going back to 2019, start of 2019, when he fought Anderson Silva and that kind of like co-main became the main event because the title fight fell apart above him. Uh, he has had decisions in seven of his last nine fights, and that includes the loss up at late heavyweight. So I think what it is is we really need to start uh, adjusting the expectations that we have from Israel Asanya is he's not going to give you spectacular finishes quite regularly. I think the the man that fought Robert Whitaker was a very different man that night when he knocked him out that first fight. Um, and I think Paulo Costa just, he's the type of strange fighter that's going to leave a lot of openings and make it easier to get that finish. But outside of kind of, you know, a, a really special night from him, a really jazzed up night for Israel Asanya or uh, the right opponent who's just going to leave a lot of open. I think we have to expect that he's probably going to win these tactical decisions. It's going to be, you know, there's almost, and I'm not coming up with an original thought because Floyd Mayweather's name has been bandied about a lot since the end of that fight. And I could see why, because we do have, a very tactical ahead of the ahead of his opponent's fighter who just is so much better but he's also not going to take too many risks because he knows he knows that there's a lot of value in just winning like you're talking about Spencer so I, I mean but he's also the dude that went out there and and stood across from Calvin Gastelum at the start of the 5th round and said not tonight I'm ready to die right sure. so like yes that's a decision and so we kind of lose sight of those every once in a while right that, second fight was hungrier. that's a hungrier Israel Asani, who had not been the champion yet. He's tasted victory. He's tasted championship glory. And I think there's a difference after Maybe, you win, but, you know? but he also had a guy that was pushing him, right? Sure. The first fight with Whitaker is a, is a beautiful knockout because Rob makes mistakes. Rob is chasing throughout that fight and putting himself in terrible positions against a guy who is an expert counter-striker. Paulo Costa stands there and allows Izzy to snipe on him. The guys that actually get in and like, fight him the way you would think you should fight him, it becomes these fights where they're tactical and they're they're this way. Calvin Gaslam has success because he creates chaos in that fight. He goes out there and he 
accepts that I'm going to get hit and it's going to suck and he's going to knock me down and I'm going to bleed, but I'm going to try to get mine off. And if I land, it's going to be effective. Sure. I agree with what you're saying about there being some hunger there, but like we've still seen good performances from him since he's been champion. It's just that those expectations to me, all of this is about expectation. And I think the thing I said with Harry on, on our show is, that expectations of just continually, they, they're always growing. There's no point where we settle, where we just sit and go, this is good and I'm happy here, right? It, mm-hmm. It's always just the next thing. And so Izzy has a brilliant walkout and he has some great performances and we just want that every time. And it's to me, it's unrealistic. Sure. But yeah, I think probably at some point we need to get something from him, right? <laughs> I think that's kind of where, where a lot of people are at. It's like, all right, it's been a little bit, right? I think people just expect him to be Anderson Silva. That's another thing. There's a lot of people who just see that, right? And and he is he is who he is. He is he's Israel Asani. He is not Anderson Silva. No one else is. And I think we do probably have to hold him to the standard of who he is and not who we want him to be, right? Even though there there are so many similarities that it's really hard to ignore. But again, they're they're different people, and I think we can appreciate. I think I think we're gonna appreciate Israel Asanya's body of work one day more than his individual performances. In the same way we do GSP, you know, who GSP. Of course, we can appreciate the individual performances too. But you look back, it's the body of work when you talk about George Saint Pierre. That's that's his legacy. Is he fought the best of the best all the time, and and no one could really beat him in a way that he couldn't beat them the next time out, right? Uh, or two times out in the case of Matt Hughes. But let's let's think about this fight that's obviously going to be coming up now, and it's it's Alex Pajeda, uh got the win over Sean Strickland uh, in in let's say maybe the not a great strategic move from Strickland to to just engage and follow along and and play into every single little mini game that was being thrown at him by Pajeda. But beyond that fight, this fight is it's going to be Adesanya and Pajeda. We know that, right? What's your level of interest, Dan? What do you think of this fight? Oh, compared no. compared to like some of the previous ones. Middleweight middleweight desperately needs something to breathe some life into it. This is a built-in storyline and that it, it'll give some excitement to a division that that desperately needs it. So I think also we're going to get a good fight out of it, too. I think because there's going to be two high-level strikers here that have familiarity with each other, there's going to be a lot less of the, well, gee, how do I approach this? And then, you know, if it didn't work out, like, what do I do now? These two know each other very well. They know how to play this particular game against one another. So it could be, it could end up being a very interesting tactical battle. Even if it's not like setting the roof on fire, I think it's going to be a much more interesting one and engaging one. There's going to be a lot of tension, I think. And that's something that was missing from this fight and probably some of the other most recent fights that he's had. Maybe, you know, Whitaker, there was, there was at least some kind of sense that Whitaker was in the fight. But I think we all, maybe not all, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I had, I had a good sense of who was the better fighter even after the second fight. This one, there's there's some question there. Unless Adesanya, and I don't want to go too deep into tactics. That fight's coming up and whenever it is, we'll talk about it then. But I, I could see Adesanya mixing in the martial arts, you know? What do you what do you think, Spencer? That's what I was going to say. Izzy has, has made a point throughout talking about this, of saying that was kickboxing, this is MMA. And it leads me to think, and he's talked a great deal, about wanting to get a submission finish in the UFC and and show people some of the grappling that he's worked on, I would not at all be surprised if we saw Izzy look to clinch, if we saw Izzy look to wrestle, if we saw Izzy looked to look to mix the martial arts as opposed to just go out there and and strike. And look, 
even if they do just strike, I think it's going to be, I think the word you used of, I think tense is the right word. That's the thing for me that, that even in these tactical battles can keep me hooked is that tension where it's like, what, this guy's still in it. What's going to happen? That little yeah. anxiety of what, of what's going to take place. A little bit edge of your seat type thing. And, yes. and with those two dudes, I think from, from minute zero until it ends, there will be that tension. I think you're right. Absolutely right. Um, I, I don't think we have to go too deep into this one, right? But we can move on. Real, I, just a couple more things before we get to contested rounds here. We had two retirements on this card. We do not get a whole lot of them. We got two of them here. Uh, Donald Cerrone, of course, was the, the more notable of the two. Came on ABC. Uh, he's the bigger name, of course. And then Jessica I, earlier in the card, also uh, took off the gloves. Uh, and she has uh, decided to move on from MMA as well. Dan, what what was your takeaway, especially when it came to Cerrone, uh, th- the fact that he actually did retire here? And he didn't really leave any indication that this was definitely what he was going to do. Uh, good for him. Yeah. He, he found another passion that he uh, in acting, it mm-hmm. seems. And if like and he, he lost says, the passion here. If he says he doesn't love fighting anymore, then he shouldn't fight. So I, I agree. He's done enough. He's got nothing to prove. Legend. You got a favorite memory? So, oh, a lot. Like when he knocked out, uh, Gal- uh he knocked out Melvin Gallard. Or dropped him and said, I'm not going to keep punching my friend. I'll just submit him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of kind of him in a strange way. Or him <laughs> or him going against Nate Diaz with a broken jaw because he got kicked by a horse two weeks before it. <laughs> and still showed up to fight night. So I mean, typical fighter injury. That's just how it goes. Sometimes you find a horse. And I mean, we've all seen John Wick 3, right? Like, that's this is the type of thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Spencer? What's what's especially with Cerrone? Uh, and then yeah, we can come back to Jessica I if you have any thoughts on her too. So I mean, I got to write a piece today or Sunday for for UFC.com about Cerrone hanging him up. He's a guy that I've had a ton of experience with, um, both talking to him ahead of fights, but also spending an inordinate amount of time with him at events and like have been at I mean, he's Donald Cerrone, he fights fought 38 times in the UFC. I I turned up at a few of those. Um, my favorite memories are, I mean, there's a ton from in the cage. Dan mentioned the Melvin Gillard fight, the Edson Barbosa fight. Um, the, the street fighter combo on, on Rick's story is always going That's, to be up there. Oh, yeah. That was mine. Um, oh, yeah. going home to, to Denver for the 25th anniversary show and submitting Mike Perry was a really great, great moment for him. Cause he was coming off a couple losses, but I mean, you know, I have things like, hanging out with him on a football field with the Ottawa Red Blacks where he's just sh- showing people how to do stuff. And a couple of days before he gets in a fist fight with Pat Cote, right. And goes out and wrestles Pat Cote. But two days earlier, he's talking about going bungee jumping and throwing around a football with a CFL team. Same weekend. I got a, had a great conversation with his beloved grandmother who told me she's very mad at Donald and she calls him Donald. And it's wonderful. Every time she says it, she's very <laughs> mad at Donald for turning the middle finger into a, a, a sign of a greeting instead <laughs> of what it's supposed to be, because that's how cowboy greets. If he knows you, he just gives you one of these and then a little <laughs> smile and a smirk. And so I walked over to where they were to say hello and good to see you and say hi to grandma jerry again lovely lady i've met her once she was very nice yeah wonderful woman and donald gives me the the cowboy salute and i just start laughing and she says you know i'm really mad at donald for that and it was just the the best just the best so shouts to grandma jerry shouts to donald she's a listener dude she's definitely i hope i hope that this sticks i hope that acting 
really takes off and all the other ventures that he has. I know he's racing cars and got his own fight series and things like that. So hope this sticks. Hang out with the boys. Hang out with Linz. All the best to you, man. And thank you for the memories. Absolutely. absolutely. Anyone have any quick thoughts on, on Jessica? I either. I mean, not, she wasn't by any means a UFC legend or anything like that, but she lasted a long time in the UFC. Always fought the toughest opponents, at least for me. Uh, I, I just I, I remember her as always fighting against the toughest women who were out there. Right. She somehow was able to kind of just survive. She had her record is not impressive. If you just look at the numbers, I think she's five and ten. In the UFC, five and ten with one it, no contest. With one no con, which realistically would have been a win over uh, Sarah Kaufman, right? Who just retired herself. Right. Who just retired. Uh, as well. Shout out to her as well, and you especially, right? Being fellow Canadian, I'm sure you're uh, you're a big fan of hers or a big supporter L- of hers. Lived right? in Victoria, trained at Zuma a little, little bit. Know Sarah quite well. Shouts sure, to her sure. for for the retirement. But yeah, the Jessica, I think, is exactly what you said. Fought up a division when the UFC didn't have flyweight and fought tough competition, then goes down to flyweight, earned her way to a championship opportunity. And unfortunately, the highlight of her career is being on someone else. It belongs to someone else. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that is that is just the way. But you know what? Thank you very much, of course, from for all of the efforts and everything out there. I think anybody who was able to give us that many fights deserves props, right? Oh, for sure. And I mean, and I mean, we're always going to have the here we go evil champ. Yes, yes. Here we go, evil. That's right. Uh, <laughs> goodness. Uh, it, Dan, this one's especially for you, sir. Jim Miller. You may have heard of him before. I know that guy. He may have grappled with you before and, and beaten the snot out of you, right? Maybe. More or less. Uh, <laughs> do you think that his job is now secure, having beaten Donald Cerrone here on a three-fight win streak, three finishes? I mean, Because uh, he, be. wants, he wants to get to UFC 300, of course, and I think he even told me the other day, this is what he UFC 300 would be what he thinks is his last fight. He thinks that would be where the, he wants to hang it up. Figures maybe four to six fights in there. So is the goodwill enough to just carry him on regardless of results? It better be. I mean, if he want, I mean, it's for some it's reason. It's entirely up to him. For some reason, something happens where the UFC is like, nah, you're done. We're not re-upping you. For some reason, they do that, which would be insane to me. He can, he can go easily win a million at PFL <laughs> or go easily win the Bellator 55 title. It, it's really he should be in the UFC, but he has options. I think it would be harder than than you're selling it, Mister uh, Jim Miller fanboy here. But yeah, I mean, I I have to think that it would be very hard to justify cutting bait with him, short of some sort of character related, legal related thing. Which knowing Jim Miller as long as we have Dan does not, and Spencer too. Spencer's shaking his head. That does not sound like the Jim Miller that we know. So I would be absolutely stunned if he didn't get to that point where he could get to UFC 300 it, it, he loses five or six fights in a row I don't think it really matters I think he'll still get there we've seen fighters I mean, Jessica I like I said she's five and ten Sam Alvey Sam yeah Sam oh goodness Sam Alvey I don't want to pile on Sam Alvey right now but like if we could keep Sam Alvey on the roster we can keep Jim Miller on the roster mm-hmm. right I mean, am I wrong Spencer no you're right and I mean like you said I don't think legal issues or character issues or a thing that are going to crop up with James Andrew Miller. Um, it's two and a half years. That's, that's the tricky part. Right? Two years, it's, two years. It'll be, it'll be years, 300. So it'll so be on, it'll be exactly two yeah, months, so two years 20, from like this 24 weekend. pay-per-views away. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's getting up there. I'm older than him as I remind him every time we talk and I mention his age, but you know, 
to to be able to have that that has always been the thing that he's that's been the thing he's gunning for for the last couple of years you mentioned that he thinks it would be his retirement we he and i have talked about it a bunch he wants the pageantry he wants mm-hmm. everybody to know it's his last fight he wants the flowers he wants the send off and he deserves them and he deserves it what better way to do it i mean he's got the most it's now he's one ahead of andre arlovsky arlovsky will pull back into a tie for most appearances whenever he fights next but he's the leader in wins. He's been doing, like, as Dan said, he, sh- he should be in the UFC. And I've said I don't know that times. he necessarily goes and cruises in PFL or Bellator the way that your co-host thinks. But <laughs> Especially if you're you know. making him fight four times a year now in, in, right. in this advanced age. He, he, he wants it. He, up for oh, four he, fights in, he in wants more weeks. fights. I know he wants more fights, he's, but can the body handle it? I think he knows the body still can't handle it no, as well as he would like it to. He's making up for lost time that Lyme cost him. I, I think you're right. So. I, I, I don't disagree there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be really... Uh, the, the one thing I want to point out, too, is, is the fact that I've said this a few times in the lead-up. He has more UFC fights than years on this planet, and I'm pretty sure he's the only fighter in UFC history to have ever done that. Because how would any of anyone else gotten to like 35 fights before they were like 36 or something like that? It's really just him. I don't think Cowboy got there. I, I double checked on Cowboy. He was the only one I was not sure about. Arlovsky's older. He he's not. He isn't quite there. Jeremy he, Horn. Jeremy Jeremy Horn didn't have that many UFC fights. Oh, I'm talking UFC, about UFC, oh, just UFC fights. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay. no I no. mean there there's what Travis Fulton, who of course has some other complications there. Uh, he. <laughs> To, to put it mildly, he has like, what, 200 fights, 300 fights, something like that. Um, and hopefully he's locked up for a while. Based Could on be the 300 fights, too. Uh, you let everyone know that. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> I mean, once we start getting into like the Gracie conversation, then it goes all over the place. Right. So let's let's stay away from that. Uh, last last thing before we kind of move in here. And this was a very extended uh, you know start of the show because we just don't have that many contested rounds. There's not a whole lot of things that people are going crazy about. So it's a little easier to kind of get through that se- sequence, I think. But uh, biggest winner outside of the individuals we've already spoken about off of this card. Uh, let's start with you, Dan. Jalen Turner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. I think he's in a position to really ascend into a contender status. I think so, so, too. I've had my eye on him for a while. And literally every time he fights and he gets announced, I forget that he is uh, fighting out of Fontana, California. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I hear my name. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Same thing with Bobby Green. Same exact thing mm-hmm. happens. I'm like, oh, wow. I keep hearing my name in there. Um, but yeah, he, he's absolutely the biggest winner. He did it in, in a very big spot right before the pay-per-view started in the featured prelim. Just go out there and just like totally run through Brad Riddell the way he did with the wins that he's starting to pile up. I think he is absolutely ready to to bust out. So yeah, he's definitely my biggest winner too. What do you think, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, just to add some variety, I would I would go with Ian Gary. Sure. 24-year-old kid, 10th mm-hmm. fight, good performance, exactly what he needs, exactly what he wants. Go out there and get some more cage time. Keep moving forward. We're seeing the development. We're seeing the progress. He showed all the things you wanted to see from a kid that is expected to do great things down the road. Goes out and gets a good win, keeps it moving forward. We'll see. We'll see how how long he can continue the I just want to go slow track because at some point the UFC is going to be like, listen, man, we need to return to Ireland at some point and we need you to be on that card fighting somebody of note. Sure, sure. And absolutely. I mean, that that's that's a good point. We've seen uh, Tom Aspinall kind of wanted to take that slower route. And I think he didn't even 
really want to go to the point of fighting uh, an Alexander Volkov last time, and obviously he proved he could do it. Uh, I, I think he's 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 in uh, he's too talented for his own good in that sense, and I think we may see that from Ian Gary. We're not there yet, but you're right; that could be something that manifests itself. And props to you, by the way, for uh, for variety's sake, giving us another name because I bet you you would have said Jalen Turner as well, wouldn't you? Oh, I'll mention Jalen Turner later. Don't you worry. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, let's let's move on to contested rounds. Again, there was only five of them. They're all from different fights. We had no split decisions, so there were, there was no round from this entire weekend that had any bearing on the result as it ended up playing out, which is which is always great, right? But we're still a judging show. We got to talk about these rounds. We got to talk about things because we get the, we get the scorecards now. The UFC puts them out there. We see them, we wonder, hey, what's going on with these rounds? So let's start with the one that I really think, this is the only one that I saw anybody kind of talking about in the sense of like, well, what's going on with this one, right? And that's Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. Fight gets declared a no contest, as we all saw. Eye poke in round two. And it was most definitely a very damaging eye poke, as we found out the uh, a day later, for all the doubters that were just not sure about the degree to which this eye poke was. He, he suffered a, what was it, a, a corneal abrasion, I believe, is the injury. Oh. And uh, and his eye is basically swollen shut. There was a picture posted with him and Glover Teixeira, and his eye was all closed up. It's it's ugly. It doesn't look good. Reed Harris was also tweeting about it. He was he was kind of shutting down all the all the doubters and that kind of thing. So anyone who's doubting the man, lay off. You get poked in the eye and see how you do, right? But let's talk about this first round because we did have a full round that was scored. Dan, what happens in this round? Bit of a strange round, I'd say. Yeah, a lot of breaks, uh, right? <laughs> O'Malley seemed, you know, not overly aggressive, somewhat cautious. Uh, neither guy's really throwing any punches. Uh, this seemed to be a mostly kicking round from both. O'Malley checked a few of the low kicks, as DC pointed out, the whole round, basically. But <laughs> I thought M- Munoz landed some solid ones in there. And, and uh, the volume on O'Malley's side, like I said, very low. The big spin kicks to the body, which I don't think landed too cleanly. I think those were the hardest shots he threw in the entire round. Uh, a lower output of high-impact shots, if, if that makes sense. No, oh, I, I get you. Um, I mean, I'm not upset with it, with a score for Moon for uh, O'Malley, but uh, I'm on the Munoz size ten nine. Yeah, I also am on the uh, the Munoz ten nine track here. I do think that it is a closer round than I think a lot of people kind of wanted to think it was coming out of it. I think we the problem is I think when when we're watching on social media, especially like you know people who follow the fights every week, right, and we put our scores up there and all that. I think there can end up being kind of this group think that if I saw it the same way and you saw it the same way, well, then that has to be the way it is. And I don't know that's necessarily the case all the time. I think a lot of times we we end up seeing it the same way, even though it's just close. It's just, we kind of ended up landing there, and it's it's close, but I think we know that's the better score. This is one of those rounds to me where there's, and especially when you have breaks in the round, when you've got two breaks in the round, it throws off the timing of everybody. And if you're sitting at home, do you get distracted? Are you that good at being able to remember all the events that happened early in the round, middle of the round, end of the round? Five minutes is a long time. Stretch it out to six, seven, it gets even harder. So I, I'm definitely sympathetic to uh, Judge uh, Saldamato here who had it for O'Malley. Even though I do think Munoz is the better score, I can understand a lot of reasons why he would get there. And so I, I just don't think this is that big a deal. I think this is a lot of hubbub over nothing. 
not that people are going crazy, but again, it's 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 definitely the one people pointed to. So you and I, Dan, sided with Mike Bell and uh, Doug Crosby. What do you about you, Spencer? Did you see it that way too? Yeah, I did. I mean, I think just in terms of as Dan said, and it really was the the right way to put it, a low volume of high impact strikes. The leg kicks to me are the most effective throughout. They're the most kind of immediately impactful. Mali does a couple good things, has a couple good shots here and there, but but on the whole, it's to me a Pedro Munoz round. And what made the fight really interesting going forward, and, and unfortunately, you know, it ended the way it did. But I think we'll I think we'll see it again. Yeah, I think we got that round covered. What about the, the next round here? I think that we should go with Brian Barbarina. This is the one that I thought was kind of interesting in terms of just the theory behind why you scored. Brian Barbarina got the win over Robbie Lawler round two TKO. Uh, really turned it around in kind of the like the middle part end of the round, uh, and and absolutely really put it on Robbie Lawler there. It was like it was like man, is he even winning this round? And then okay, he's definitely winning this round. Oh, he won the fight. But round one was there is an argument to be made, I think, for either guy in in a some sense. But I want Dan to set this up on why I think that might be the case. Yeah, such a close round. The first minute and only the first minute of this fight is a bit of a feeling out process. And they felt out each other pretty quickly because they just started slinging leather. Um, once Lawler, he he eats a couple leg shots in the first minute, but then he starts turning it on in the fight. It's just awesome at this point. They're both uh, rock'em, sock'em robots, it feels like. Lawler's uh, avoiding some of the shots coming back from Barbarina, but he stumbles Barbarina back against the cage a few times when he was landing his shots. Barbarina was throwing a lot of strikes. Like, if this was the video game, it wouldn't even be possible to throw these strikes because your energy bar would just be completely depleted. Now that's like, a whole nother conversation I could get into, why like, I don't like the UFC video game, <laughs> like but anyway. 14 punch combos. I don't think many of them are getting through, or at least with high impact the way that Lawler's are, because every time, like I said, he hits them, uh, Barbarina's getting you know backed into the cage. He hurts them pretty good that one time, uh, probably about halfway through. Uh I think the immediate impact is definitely on Lawler's side, even if he's not landing as many strikes as Barbarina is. So I'm 10-9 Lawler. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the impact is is what you're really looking for. Impact, uh, you know, immediately is is more. It's it's weighted heavier than the cumulative effect here. But there is there is a lot of like, when is the volume enough? Is kind of what you start to say. It's like, okay, how much how much volume does it need to overcome the immediate kind of thing? Because we don't see. Barbarina necessarily hurt, right? He's not hurt. He's getting tagged. He's getting his head turned. There's definitely shots that are landing. Well, I thought he I thought he definitely got hurt probably like halfway through. But how badly is he hurt compared to like let's say when we started to see the fight really turn in round 2 where Lawler was the one hurt. I think we started to see a, a, a different degree of mm. hurt there compared to the round. Well, that's at least how I saw it. Okay. I did, maybe you disagree. I mean, I don't, I, don't okay. th- I don't think he was on, on the verge of losing. Right, right. Exactly, but. exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at okay. here. It's like it's not, it's not turning the fight, you know, in a direction, a downward direction for him. It's just like, oh, yeah, he's definitely winning, right, in those exchanges. But we did see a lot of volume for Barbarina. I did think a lot of them were getting deflected, right? That's so what I think it seems that's, like, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where... I made it a lot easier for me to say, okay, Lawler really ought to be the one winning this. But if you're at a certain angle from at the cage and you think some of these shots, if it looks to you that they are landing, you can understand why maybe Ron McCarthy is able to get to the point where he says, okay, I'm going to give this round to Barbarina. I think he did enough here. Maybe he's not seeing how impactful the shots are from Robbie. You just never know. A fight like this, it gets very tricky, I think. So I saw it uh, the same way as you for Robbie Lawler, Derek Cleary. 
Adelaide Bird had it the same way as as you and I did. What about you, Spencer? Did you also uh, land on that way, or did you go with uh, with Barbarina? I went with Lawler, but even watching it live the first time, I thought it was a Robbie Lawler round, but a fight that was favoring Brian Barbarina. If that makes any sense, it does. To anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Lawler did the more as we as we note, as you guys noted, more impactful blows, more immediate damage. But in terms of that volume and in terms of that pace, I looked at it and was like, all right, as long as Bam Bam doesn't get put out here, this is this is all good. All of that body work is going to pay dividends. All of those little short elbows in close are going to pay dividends. And we saw that where we got to, to the second round and they just, you know, picked right back up where they were at the end of the first sling and leather. And then it sort of turned and became a fight that favored Brian Barbarina, but the first round to me was was a Robbie Lawler round, and it comes down to damage. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably the right score. I, I, but it's not one of those rounds where you're just like, "Come on, how did Ron McCarthy get there?" Like you can totally see the path to it, and that's why it's not a round I think anyone should get kind of crazy about. And nobody was that I saw. Nobody reasonable anyway. For sure. And, and and you asked the question like, at what point does the volume over kind of outweigh? the immediate impact. And I think that's a thing that, I mean, I want to keep thinking about and I want to keep watching with some of these fights because we get these, these fights at this level now that can be this close where, mm-hmm. yeah, Robbie Lawler lands the the one or two most impactful blows, but Brian Barberina's is right there in it with them and he's outlanding them by a good number or whatever it is. So it's going to be a thing that I think it's a, a discussion we will certainly have going forward because we're, it feels like we're trending right now towards right but damage. And absolutely damage is primary criteria, immediate impact over cumulative, as you have, like, exactly correct. But it doesn't mean we just go all the way away from volume for, well, that guy landed one good shot and he landed 15 that were less impactful immediately. It's it's going to be interesting to see as we we get to this balance. And it's hopefully you guys ask that question when you get to New Niagara Falls later this month. <laughs> it's true. It's, it definitely should be at the top of our list right there. I oh, think yeah. I think we should put it up there. We should probably make like a list, yeah. you and I, of like things that we want to make sure we like get asked while we're up there. Not that we. I can't would have assumed you anyway. would already have like a spreadsheet or something. But dude. you know what it is? Is we're we're kind of in touch with a lot of people, so we can kind of just get our questions in. There as you they go. Come. So it's but it, it is different when you're kind of speaking with Big someone time. in person. So, um, but yeah, I think we can move on. We still got three more rounds here. Uh, let's go to Miller and Cerrone again. This this was ending in the second round. It was that uh that guillotine choke where basically Cerrone's arms were both trapped and he couldn't really go anywhere so he's like tapping with like the ends of his fingers which was such a crazy visual and it was just like wow that is that is like a double arm in in a sense right is because he just can't do anything with any part of his body uh probably barely tap verbally tap uh but what happens in round one kind of before obviously this is round two what's happening in round one dan why are we talking about this round yeah. on the feet i think it's a cerrone round until it hits the ground i mean cerrone's having good success with his front kick he seems to be landing the better shots to the head Miller's uh, attacking the legs pretty good, throwing a couple body kicks, but he can never really break through the guard of Cerrone when he was attacking the head. Uh, but once it hits the ground, I think it's all Miller. He's landing good uh, ground and pound there. Ends up in mount. Lands some really solid punches there, but he, Jim Miller is finish first mentality. Tries to jump on a triangle. Just attacks with no no regard for any consequences, as if it's you know, just 100%, I'm going to get this. That is very much on brand. Um, So... <laughs> 
ends up on the bottom, but even on the bottom, he's doing doing all the offense. He's landing elbows from there, uh, tacking uh, an arm bar at the end. Kind of kind of got caught in a, kind of a loose knee bar to end the round, but 10-9 Miller. He was kind of shaking his head about that. He was like, no, no, it's not yeah. there. And usually you see, when, when you see that in like the striking game, it's like, no, it didn't land, it didn't hurt, and be like, mm-hmm. oh, no, it did. I think with a, like a, with a, a submission, you're usually like, no, oh, it's not there. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's pretty matter-of-fact at that point. You actually take it, right? Uh, so yeah, I actually saw it the same way as you, but I could see why, because we do have more or less half a round where I do think Cerrone is is probably winning the battle up there. He's winning on the feet. Um, but it's I, I do think that ultimately when they get down, that's where we are seeing that more effective strikes, effective uh, offense in mm-hmm. general is up there. But close enough round. I'm not crazy about it. What about you, Spencer? Yeah, same thing. I mean... I score for Miller, but if if you go the other way, I'm not I'm not super upset with you. This isn't an egregious decision or an egregious round by any stretch. No. I liked the elbows from Jim Miller. I liked the attacking offense once they got to the ground. And even as, as Dan mentioned, off his back when Cowboy was able to get to top position, still effective, still being active, still landing the blows in there. And so for me it was it was 10-9 Miller. It was close, but 10-9 Miller. So judges that we agreed with, the three of us, uh, we were on the same page with Mike Bell and Sal D'Amato. Uh, it was the lone Cerrone score came from Anthony Manis, who's a Tennessee-based judge who's been out in Vegas a lot more often uh, in the last few years. I think he's was, he was more of a recent kind of hire. Uh, and and I, I should highlight him just because of the sense that a lot of people are, are getting very tired when I talk about this on social media. I hear a lot of people saying, ah, oh, we're just tired of, of the same, these, 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 you know, lifetime appointment judges with Sal D'Amato and Chris Lee. Da, 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 da. It's like, well, look, Anthony Manis is a new judge. Like, I don't know if anybody's formed an opinion on the guy yet or not. And I'm not saying anybody should because I don't think you've seen enough of him. There's not even for my data that I track. I don't even have enough results to, to formulate whether he has been really that much in agreement or disagreement with his his fellow officials to to whatever rate that a lot of them are it's it's hard to say but i have seen some more disagreements i guess in general than than i have uh in step from this judge but i feel like a lot of people would just say like no 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 throw him away we gotta need the next one if it's that kind of thing you need patience and you need to also understand that if you don't like sal d'amato you might get in a new judge who is less experienced, who is not going to uh, be able to give you kind of the consistent results that you think you're going to get with someone else. It's probably going to be less so until they get more experience. Or be used to the 10,000 photographers fighting you for position. That's right. Nobody nobody has the, has the, uh, the, the boxing out elbow for his spot at cage side like Sal D'Amato does. <laughs> I think we saw that in it was Hawaii, right? It was Hawaii when that happened. Well, that's when he th- that's when he, Bellator. He, he grabbed the uh, the cameraman. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I'm saying boxing out, but that's exactly what I meant. Thank you. Um, two more rounds here. We got going all the way to the title fight again. Adesanya. He won 49-46 twice and a 50-45. So we do have one split round here, and that is round three, the middle frame that uh, Spencer alluded to earlier. Dan, what's happened in this round? Uh, another close round, uh, as most of these usually are. Uh, they often are. <laughs> yeah. Izzy landing the better strikes early. Solid leg kicks. The jabs are snapping the head back of Cannoneer. Uh, Cannoneer's right hand is finding a home. Uh, he lands in a, especially a big one when he's kind of stuck in a clinch, which pushes Izzy all the way against the fence. I think he does some good work here in the clinch. Uh, once they separate, I think it's Izzy, again, winning the striking, albeit not by that much. Uh, 
Kenner again lands another right, and they get into a second clinching uh, situation here. And this is where I think he probably wins the round because he's landing some solid knees. A few Storley knees mixed in, but <laughs> mostly solid knees here. And I, I think he wins this one in the clinch. That, that's where he wins it for me, 10-9. You know, uh, so look, I, I want to preface by saying I also agreed that this was a Kennedy round 10-9. But I would also point out that those knees that are being thrown by Cannoneer are happening directly in front of Sal D'Amato, who did score the round for Israel Adesanya. So nobody, mm. no one in the arena had a better view of those particular strikes and a better feel for how they might be landing, except for the two individuals who were in the action. Uh, and and maybe uh, referee Herb Dean, too. But there's no one who I, I would trust more to evaluate those strikes than Sal D'Amato here. And if he is sitting there and he says, that's not enough to turn the fight, I understand it. I totally get it. And I don't think anybody should doubt that because it makes a lot of sense to me. What do you think, Dan? I think that's a, a great point. What about from you, my, From my perspective, they look pretty good. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agreed. I, I kind of was with you. I, I was leaning that way, but then I kind of went over with those. Uh, so it felt a little bit better. But again, I it's hard to sit here and say that I know better than Sal D'Amato in that particular situation. Right, Spencer? I mean, who can who can say they're better than Sal D'Amato, really? But I mean, to me, again, this is this is the same as these other rounds. It's a close round. And, and if you go sort of the the other way, if you are the dissenting voice in this, I understand where it comes from. I like like Dan scored it for Cannoneer. I thought the couple shots closing the distance and and in the clinch in terms of the right hands were the most impactful kind of blows of the round. And then everything else is relatively close. So those clinch, the clinch work where he's, you know, able to get off a little bit more than Izzy was kind of sways it a little bit, but this is one of those rounds. Like this isn't a, a runaway round for Jared Cannonier. This is like, if we're scoring it out of a hundred, this is like 55, 45. It's one of those kind of close rounds where everybody's getting a little bit of, getting a little bit of their stuff off, and it's just a little more in favor of Cannoneer in my books. Sure, sure. The, the unfortunate part here is, of course, that Adesanya had won the first two rounds. No one was really questioning that because he actually looked pretty good to this point in the fight, right? Through at least 10 minutes. And then if you give that round to Adesanya, the fight is essentially over, barring some sort of you know high damage situation. It's not even a grappling. It's usually a high damage situation at this point to get the 10-8. So... The fight is essentially over. Now, judges aren't sitting there saying, am I going to get over that path? They're just saying what happened in five minutes, right? But it's it's definitely a tricky thing because it, it there's definitely uh, a lot of value to this round and making sure you get the right person. Um, but it's up to you individuals in the cage to really distance themselves, and, and neither one of them really did that. And that's, that's really the crux of the issue, I think. Yeah, and it was one of those fights that, and I know... Lou Thomas was talking about it um, live as it was happening, that because those last sort of three rounds were relatively low output, were relatively low volume and, and generally pretty close, it felt like there was the opportunity, depending on how those scores are coming out, that we could be looking at some some janky scorecards or some, some scorecards that are going to stir some debate. Let's put it that way. Sure. We didn't get that, I think. Izzy was able to do enough and be effective enough over the last two rounds to to rightfully get the decision. But that's the other piece of this that's tricky, right? Is like they're individual five-minute segments. If there's not a lot happening, it doesn't really take a lot to sway around the other way. 
And if that happens three times, we have a different different outcome. And that's where, and I don't want to get sidetracked by by an open scoring situation, but I do feel like that's where uh, it, it's kind of useful. It's really useful for a fighter to know where they stand, not because it would do anything for the judging itself to help the the fight the fight get on the right page. And we were talking about this ad nauseum on our show, but to to at least let the fighter know, hey, listen, you've already lost three out of the first four rounds. You can't win a decision. It's round five, Jared. If you want to win this fight, you're going to have to press because we didn't see a lot of urgency in round five. And, and I don't know if he knew where he was in the fight. It didn't seem like he thought he was winning or his corner thought he was winning. But at the same time, if you know, hey, you're five minutes away from losing potentially your last chance at being a champion in the UFC, maybe he fights differently. Maybe he's got a chance in there. And I, I don't know that Adesanya would fight um, not to lose around five because i think he's got a lot riding on also being perceived as kind of a killer and if he goes out there and let's say he knows that he is winning and all he has to do is survive if he goes out and fights like all he's going to do is survive it's definitely going to have a, a much more negative effect than i think we already saw in the aftermath of this fight right so that's why i feel like it, it would definitely be a useful tool there's there's faults absolutely I, you know i'm i'm not one who's going to sit there and tell the the anti uh, open scoring people that no, you're absolutely wrong. I see both sides, but this is a fight I could have seen some real interest in in having it there. That's just how I feel. I don't know, but he else feels we don't have to get sidetracked in that because that can go down a rabbit hole, right? But um, yeah. Anyway, before before we even answer me, unless anyone has something they really want to quick say, we got one more round. And Spencer's shaking his head. No, uh, I think Dan's probably okay with just getting into this last round, right? Macy Barber, Jessica I in her finale. It was, uh, of course, a decision win unanimous for Macy Barber to 29-28 and a 30-27 with round two, our swing round. So, Dan, what is happening? Uh, right out the gate, Barber lands a big right, uh, and then they end up in a clinch situation and pretty much stay there. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they they both, you know, they swap position, who, who's who's uh, in control, landing a couple knees and punches from both. Uh, Jessica I really wants a takedown badly. Uh, it's not really panning out. Barber lands a head kick which helps I actually get the takedown that she's been trying for the entire round. I didn't think the head kick was all that great. Uh, and from there, again, they don't do much. Uh, I's really focused on the grappling. She just wants to pass. She's not really doing anything in terms of ground and pound. Barber's not doing anything in terms of escaping. Uh, I think it gets interesting in the final 30 seconds when I actually starts to throw some punches and elbows to the body. And I think it was too close up until that point that uh I thought that swayed it for. So I went Jessica I ten nine. You know, so I've I've been the one who's kind of following up with Dan and this is our last round. I'm gonna let Spencer have the floor here because I know he actually is going to push back a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna push back a little bit because I think what Macy Barber did in the first, you know, it's not really the first four minutes and thirty seconds because no. <laughs> she wasn't landing offense throughout that entire period. But I think the things that she did earlier, including that that right hand right out of the gate. I don't think the head kick was super effective either, but there were a few other elbows and, and short shots, knees to the body inside during that long stretch where Jessica I is just desperate to get a takedown and stand in the clinch and just press into Macy Barber was enough for me. Absolutely, Jessica I finds some success and starts, you know, letting loose a little more towards the end of the round. But for me, I was I was already over to the Barber side of things. Yeah, and so was I, honestly, Spencer. I'm with you here. Um, 
it, it didn't feel like Jessica I had done enough to take this round. It, ultimately, it just really didn't seem like even in that last kind of sequence, like you're talking about the last like what thirty seconds or so, Dan. It just didn't seem like that was enough to overcome the fact that there were things that Macy Barber did in that round that I think were were useful, were good. Um, I don't I don't want to sit here and say that that Sal D'Amato and Ron McCarthy, who were the majority judges and saw it for I the same way as you, I don't want to sit there and say they can't evaluate a full five minute round. They're better at that than me. I have ADHD, and I don't think I'd be a great judge if I sat cage side. <laughs> I just don't, um, knowing myself. But I feel like there is a sense of undervalued impact happening in the early part of this round compared to what happened in the later part of the round. And I, I do think that's why this really ought to be a Macy Barber round. Uh, but I'm not worked up about it by any stretch. Neither one of them did a whole lot. Anytime you have these like low impact, heavy on you know clinching and and grappling without advancement and without offense, it's you're asking for trouble. As far as is it going to be scored one way or the other? So I have no sympathy for this going one way or the other. Right? Yeah, I, I guess you, I I guess you guys saw it differently than me as terms of what was happening in the clinch. I, I thought really the only strike that that mattered or was effective on Barber's part was that opening right. I didn't really see much in the clinch, and that that's probably why I sided with I. Fair enough. That's just so. fair enough. Uh, but then Spencer and I ended up seeing it the same way as Adelaide Bird. So uh, this, this is not a couchside override. Unfortunately, the guests do not sway our couchside overrides. I'm sorry, Spencer. It's not the way it works. Maybe it's like a like a, a guest override. We're not getting, we're not going to do a sound effect. It's just not. I was going to say I'm not getting any sound effects this episode. Come on, I can't do it. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, maybe one day I'll come up with a noise that there'll be maybe less impressive than you know than than the noise that I only do when we have it. So I'm not even repeat it. But oh well, it is what it is. Let's let's. Uh, that is it though. That's all the contested rounds we had. Uh, we got five finishes on this pay per view. Three of them submissions. Two of them were TKO. Well, one was a KO. One was a TKO. It's you know, it's just a distinction. It doesn't really make a difference. Um, but we don't see a whole lot of more subs than than uh, strike based finishes. That's always fun. Three of these ended in the first round too. So Spencer, what was your favorite? Mine was Jalen Turner. I mean, we, we mentioned him earlier. Guy, yeah, we mentioned him a little earlier as having the the biggest kind of breakout performance and and the guy that made the the best showing for himself. I mean sitting before the fight on a stream with with my partner in crime harry powell we were talking about it and i said what do you like how do you think this plays out and he literally gave me the step-by-step of what actually happened um and to go out there and do that to brad riddell to get a fifth straight finish to be you know 100 finishing rate he's an absolute menace in this division and i cannot wait to see where he goes from here because at at his size learning how to use his reach, learning how to use his power with the instincts he has when he has somebody hurt. He's really interesting to me going forward, and this was a a terrific finish. Super intriguing fighter. Uh, I completely agree with you, and I'm very interested to see where he goes. Um, Dan, I I have no idea what you would pick as your favorite finish. Yeah, what, what, it, would well, it, be? it would have been Jalen Turner's had this one not happened. Sure. Uh, Jim Miller, reckless abandon somewhat, just diving on guillotines like nobody's business and getting the finish what was great it was he basically got it down there because he ate a head kick and Cerrone slipped and then he pounced so it was like what (laughs) just these things happen in MMA just go for it (laughs) what an animal 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I probably would have said that too if it wasn't for the fact that I knew without question this was yours. I wasn't going to steal you. your thunder because I'm a buddy like that. Uh, but honestly, I felt really good picking uh, Alex Pajeda, getting the, the win over Sean Strickland in half a round. Just what the heck was Sean Strickland doing? <laughs> what were you thinking? He's like, oh, yeah, I could. I, I, there's no one I can't stand with, these glory kickboxers. Da, da, da. But, like, he's in there, and he's reacting to everything, every single thing that's happening. He's playing directly into the champion kickboxer's hands. He's not trying to do anything to change it up. And look, if he wants to, if if what he wants to do is just test himself as a man, test himself as a fighter, see how he does there. Okay, fine. Look where it got you. I mean, you were one win from a championship fight that you had already done a weirdly good job at hyping at the press conference the other day. And I say weirdly because, good God. The things that come out of his mouth, like, it's just, I, I don't really love to repeat them because I don't really subscribe to some of the stuff he says. But not for nothing, he reached a certain audience of mixed martial arts fans. All he had to do was just fight smart, and he couldn't do it. Just just one more fight, just fight smart, and he, he couldn't get there. So, um, but Pajera But Eric Nixick loved that. What's that? But Eric Nixick loved that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's just. It is what it is, but, but, but as far as Pajero, though, he looked absolutely fantastic. He showed the world exactly why he would be a very interesting matchup for Azur Adesanya, so that, that really hyped me up. I was very interested in that one. I was glad to see it. Um, that is it for UFC 276. Before we go, because this is the this is a non... This is the only UFC weekend as far as the major North American promotions. Um, Vegas. They're back in Vegas. It's just numbered card number 58 at Vegas, whatever number. I think it's 58. That's what yeah. I wrote down in my at my house, so hopefully that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> and it's the Battle of the Rafaels, or or Rafaels, as it were. Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev headlining at 155 pounds. Spencer, do you like this fight? Like, I know you like every fight, right? You like a lot of fights, but <laughs> this one, like, where does this stand for you? Are you getting extra excited or just kind of like, okay, this is a decent main event? No, I'm really excited. I mean, I had the pleasure of talking to both guys um, this past week for stories that will be up on the UFC website. Which you should go read. Um, just- Thank you. Dos Anjos is a guy that, you know, great performance against Hanato Moicano earlier this year. He's been a champion in this division, believes he's capable of getting there again. Certainly interested in, in seeing him attempt to do that. And I think this is the test, the kind of test that Javier Fazeev needs at this point. He's a very charming and endearing personality when you talk to him. He's super interesting to watch in the cage um, in terms of what he does. And to me, this is a fight that's going to help kind of clarify where things stand and where everybody kind of lines up in the in the lightweight hierarchy. Hierarchy, And we need fights like this. And so I'm all for it. I, I want to see Fazeev over five rounds if it gets there. I want to see kind of whether he can keep up that pace if we if we get to that point. And so for me, I'm I'm all in on this fight and not just because I like every fight. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It. it- my understanding, though, is it's Rafael Faziev and Rafael Dos Anjos, right? Yeah, but it's way more fun to say the Battle of the Rafaels or the Rafaels. But I'll, I'm neither gonna... of the neither of them went for it when I asked them if they would be proud to be the number one Rafael in the lightweight division. They're ah, both just that's no, a shame. Both just no sold me. Ah, that's terrible because I because <laughs> I feel like that would be a lot of fun if they added uh, like an element to this, like almost like a bet where the winner for a year can enforce the loser 
to pronounce their name the other way. That would just Something. be fun. Just a little cup on it that says Rafael, like one of those little, you know, trophy store, get it engraved yourself trophies. Or at least one of them should come to the cage wearing a, a red bandana and, and carrying size. I knew that was coming. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I don't know how much you know about me, Spencer, but I am a massive Ninja Turtles fan. So, uh, yeah, that this is yeah. what I need. Uh, and if you haven't, I don't know if you're a gamer at all, but if you haven't played and I told Dan to play, I don't think he even got it yet. Go get Shredder's Revenge, TMNT Shredder's Revenge. It is fantastic throwback action um dan what are your thoughts since going into this fight do you have i don't know if you have a pick or, or if you no, just no gotta... pick i'm kind of really just to, i'm very interested to see how where dos anjos is after all these years where's he stand do you think he that he's got another it. title run in him i don't know that I, that's what i think that's this fight will tell me okay I, th- I think that's probably fair this is of course in nevada we will have uh the same high degree uh of of traveling fight uh, traveling judges and local uh, Nevada-based judges that we typically have. It's always great. I, I, no one really appreciates it except, I think, probably the three people on this call and maybe maybe the officials out there and maybe some other people who really get it. But it's so much better than when they go to Texas or when they go to Georgia, which we've seen you know, with PFL going there the yeah. last three weekends. And, and at least one weekend they had uh, Derek Cleary there because he's a local, and that was fantastic. But, of course, he was in Vegas this past weekend, so we didn't actually have him at the PFL again. Fortunately, we only got one fighter who got robbed in Georgia. So at least there was that. But, uh, I mean, that wasn't this weekend. It was it was previously. So it's always nice to see Nevada. There are other fights that I want to start with you, Dan, because I bet you there's a lot of fights that we didn't even list that Spencer's going to name check. But what about you? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch. Uh, I am uh, interested in Saeed. Nurmagomedov versus Douglas Silva de Andrade. Uh, I think they both were on the same card last time. Both got submission victories, I believe, um, versus uh, Morozov and then versus Damon. So I'm kind of like to see where this goes. I do think Nurmagomedov gets the win, though. It's hard to bet against anyone named Nurmagomedov because they have a very high record. I looked this up one time on Tapology, and I think everyone named Nurmagomedov has like a cumulative like 90 win percentage or <laughs> something like that. It is pretty remarkable. Uh, at least the ones that are like, and actually, I think it goes up even more if you just knock off the ones who had fought less than like five times or something. If it's anyone who's actually like put some serious effort into engaging with their career and going further, it's it's just ridiculous how few times anyone named Nuragamadov loses. So yeah, I, I have no pick here, but shoot, if you're a better and you're saying, oh, I think Douglas Silva de Andrade is the one here. Like, just put your money away. Just sit it out and watch. Just just don't bet it. Just have fun. <laughs> I'm actually interested, though, in uh, in the, the women's flyweight fight, Cynthia Calvillo and Nina Nunes, because there's some there's at least uh, some chance that one of these women could maybe pick up enough steam to get up to the point of fighting Valentina Shevchenko down the road, because a lot of people have, and a lot of people lost to her. So <laughs> they're always going to be looking for fresh women for Valentina Shevchenko to send back the, into the rankings. And say, I'll try again next time. So and no, not that, not that I'm writing any of them off right now. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm just saying there's a lot of, a lot of tried and failed to beat Valentina Shevchenko. As much as people thought, Tyler Santos put up a great fight last fight, and and she did. She didn't win. Anyone who sit there thinks that she won the fight, the right woman won. I think I think Sean Sheehan coined the term 
for that expectancy bias. I think that's something similar. I've heard to that he before. That. I don't. I don't know that he's the only one who said that, but yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, we. Well, she just exceeded expectations versus Valentina, so obviously she won. There's a lot of that that happens. Yeah. I think in these fights. I think. I think that happened to a high degree in the first Figueredo Moreno fight. I think a lot of people sat there and said, oh, look at Brandon Moreno. Like, we thought he was going to get crushed. And he goes out there, and I think he won. But we've gone over that fight. I think it's much easier to give three rounds pretty clearly to Figueredo. And obviously, he lost a point. So, like, if anything, it might have been a draw. But I do think the better fighter in that fight was most definitely Figueredo when you go by three round, you know, five round increments of scoring them, right? A quadrilly that should have never been a rematch. And yet, it was still fun. (laughs) Like, I, yeah. I can't hate on it as much as I do think it really shouldn't have been more than one fight. It really should have just been one fight. And uh, and sure enough, I mean, look, he, he fouled. It's his own fault. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't foul, different fight. Yep. But it is what it is. We, we kind of, I think we kind of dumb lucked into a good quadrilogy, yeah. right? I think yeah. that's probably much how it is. What, what are you, Spence? You got anything else you want to shout out as far as fights on this event before we kind of close out? I mean, both of those are definitely on my list. Um, interested to see what Kyle Bohio looks like in his second appearance. Had a good had a good performance last time out until he, you know, illegally needed a dude in the head. Which you can't um, do. So let's see if he can can keep that holstered this time around. Um, the Ronnie Lawrence, Saeed, uh, Kakramana fight is one I'm interested in. That opens the show. Two bantamweights, young guys got good wins um, in their in their early performances. And then I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's actually happening. It's still Wikipedia's got it as a announced bout. Topology has it as canceled, but I've written about it, so I'm I'm banking on it happening. <laughs> and that's David Onama and, and Austin Lingo. I think David Onama is is somebody mm. to watch at featherweight. He looked great in his debut. It was a loss to Mason Jones, but it was up a division, and then he knocked out Mowgli Benitez last time out. So. He's a guy from that glory camp that I'm paying close attention to, along with El Jefe, Jeff, Jeff Molina. So hopefully that happens. Two good camps, two good young fighters on on good winning streaks. So I'll, I'll if wanna, that one happens, I want to see it. I want to ask you an inside baseball question here, Spencer, because obviously you talk to fighters probably more often than I do even, because that's that's like literally everything that you kind of do for your for your media career whereas i also have other responsibilities with the new york post so i think you get in more but i know this has happened to you you interview a fighter you got a whole interview in the can you're excited to write something up fights canceled what goes through your head when you find out about that like you're just like did did this all go to waste or what like what what do you do so it depends how close to the event the fight is canceled that that certainly changes my my feeling if it is inside of if it's the start of fight week then i don't care because it's already been filed and once it's filed my job's done well yeah and i and i just send the note that says you got that right with a little (laughs) winky emoji that means i'd like my pay please (laughs) um but most of the time i'll just file it away i mean i i talked to kevin holland for a really great interview before the london show in 2020 that got canceled because of the pandemic and that's just one that that no one know, will ever hear it, except you left between me and Kevin Holland. Yep. And so I reference it from time to time because we talked about all of the things that have continued to be Kevin Holland things like talking to guys in the talking to guys in the cage and, you know, needing to focus. But that's just who I am. And I want to go back to being trailblazer and not being loudmouth and blah, 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 blah. Would have been a great story. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, it's just 
it's the cost of doing business, but it's, it certainly sucks, right? Like, especially if it's somebody that you have a hard time tracking down or that you, you just happen to have that great interview with, you get a great conversation going, you, you find some nuggets that are going to really blow up the story and make it be a really interesting piece. And then the fight falls apart. It's happened a few times lately, but, uh, well, especially in COVID times, right? I had a similar situation happen. It was because of COVID. It happened the day after we spoke, and that was Alexander Volkanovsky last year. We spoke probably 12 hours before he found out he had COVID, and that fight was canceled, which led to, of course, him being on the Ultimate Fighter with Brian Ortega. And the time we talked at that point, he and Brian Ortega were totally cool. They hadn't been on the show together. So he's like, oh, yeah, no, we, we, we got along great, mate. We, 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 I saw him at, at, the, at the bar, and we got along just fine. And <laughs> that's my bad Australian accent, of course. But uh, everything changed in the interim. So at least there was like a way to salvage it in the sense that it was like, okay, I know what you were felt about him before, and now I know how you felt after. So we did have a little bit there, but it was like, man, I, I did this interview with the featherweight champion. No one's ever going to hear it. It was like, well, I didn't. It's not that I wasted my time. And I'm like, damn, no one's going to see. The one tip I will give people that are in the industry, if you're starting out and you're listening to this and you, you tips for these situations, this is why you don't make your stories about the actual fight itself or the person they're fighting. It's true. Tell the story about the fighter, because regardless of what happens, you're just talking about that athlete. Rafael Dos Anjos coming up this weekend is a perfect example. He was supposed to fight Fazeev in March. Great conversation about go, moving back to Brazil and coming back after a long layoff. Fight week, you know, two weeks before the fight, Fazeev is out. In comes Moicano. All of my content is still usable. All of my call is still usable. We just changed the names of the people he's fighting. You still deliver a good piece. So don't make it about what does this guy do that you're worried about. Give me all your trash talk about this guy. Focus on the athlete you are speaking to and tell a story about them going into that fight so that if something changes, you don't burn an entire interview. That is absolutely great advice. And I more or less utilize that in my actually another one that ties in was my Jim Miller Q&A that I had run last week for the post in my post fight interview series that involves some questions about Bobby Green. Two days later, Bobby Green's out. So it's like, all right, well, those ones are just going to go in the trash. You'll never know. No one will know anything that we had to say. But we had so much else to talk about because I've known Jim for, you know, a dozen years. There were a lot of other things we could talk about. And Jim is, you know, Spencer and you know, Dan, he likes to talk. He's got a lot of things to say. He doesn't mind letting his letting his words spill out. And, you know, it's not that he's going to overshare, but he'll he'll answer your question very thoroughly. Yeah, I've, I've had some 25, 30-minute conversations with Jim Miller that are literally like, it starts with, hey, man, how are you? And then it's just, away we go. Yep. Yeah. And it's, I, and it's a conversation as opposed to pulling teeth or an interview or anything like that. It's just a dude that enjoys talking about his career and, a, and another guy from Canada that enjoys listening to him talk about his career. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. I think probably that's, that's all we kind of have, Dan. But uh, real quick, Spencer, why don't you... Just shout out again your your social handle and, and, and your main projects real quick. Social handle is at Spencer Kite on both Twitter and Instagram. Everything will be up on both of those platforms. Um, you can follow me on the Keyboard Kimura newsletter, spencerkite.substack.com. New stuff out literally every day. Um, doing some podcasts, doing some video stuff. I'll give Dan a, a video main event breakdown All this right. week because it's a, a pretty easy 
light week otherwise so we'll we'll do some video on friday for you dan nice because you roll out those punch drunk prediction <laughs> parlays sorry we didn't get it this week i blame sean o'malley <laughs> well no that's but, that uh, one just void that got void that one just voids that's yeah, so, it's, so it was my poor pick of, of sean strickland then but yeah that's the spot i appreciate you guys having me and uh we'll have to do it again always a pleasure all right thank you That does it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. Once again, thanks to Spencer Kite for joining us. We will be back again on Monday. We will. We won't have Spencer with us. We're not going to have any guests, but hopefully I'll have fun anyway. And yeah, maybe we'll have some judging craziness. Who the heck knows? Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.